That way I don't have to go re-edit it later. All right, so diving into Come Follow Me for this week with, um, <laughs> I did tell people wrong at some point that we're not sitting in Ezekiel tonight. We're doing just the, the normal Come Follow Me schedule. We'll be doing that all, all year long. So uh, tonight is going to be Jeremiah, basically one through 20. Uh, you know, it's kind of a sporadic um, one listed there. Uh, chapters one through three, seven, 16 through 18 and 20. But um, one thing I wanted to kind of start off our discussion with is um, the, the Bible Project videos, because they are excellent. If, if you haven't discovered those, I, I share them all the time with like Isaiah and all that. But um, I love them. I love them. They so are so great. I even bought the book so that when the internet crashes, like I still have all of those. Anyway, it's so good. Um, so where is that? Uh-huh. So if you just... Uh, go onto YouTube and type in Bible project and any okay. book of scripture. Um, it'll come up with a, a video on that. Okay. Uh, so good. But um, we'll watch like the first like three minutes of this that is that covers the section that we're doing tonight, just to kind of start off our discussions. Um, let me pull that up really quick. The book of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was an Israelite priest who lived and worked in Jerusalem during the final decades of Oops. the kingdom of southern Judah. He I missed was a push pause. Prophet Just warned Israel about the severe consequences of breaking no. their covenant with God through their idolatry and injustice. And he even predicted. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just a second. Do you have it? Do you have it on like two times speed, or does he really talk that fast? He does talk that fast, and that's was one of the <laughs> things that I was going to do was. Put it just a little bit slower. <laughs> and then all my screen went weird. Okay. So could you all hear it as it was yeah. going? Okay. So let me try the, the, that. The again. Empire of Back. Um me full screen. There we go. And <laughs> sometimes I'm real dumb. Okay. The book of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was an Israelite priest who lived and worked in Jerusalem during the final decades of the kingdom of southern Judah. He was called as a prophet to warn Israel about the severe consequences of breaking their covenant with God through their idolatry and injustice, and he even predicted that the empire of Babylon would come as God's servant to bring this judgment on Israel by destroying Jerusalem taking the people into exile. And sadly, his words became reality. Jeremiah lived through the siege and destruction of Jerusalem and witnessed the exile personally. Now, this book came into existence in a really interesting way. Chapter 36 tells us that after 20 years of Jeremiah's preaching in Jerusalem, God called him to collect all of his sermons and poems and essays and commit them to writing, which Jeremiah did by employing a scribe named Baruch, who wrote down and compiled all of this material into a scroll. Now, Baruch also gathered lots of stories about Jeremiah, and he linked all the pieces together. And so this is why the book reads like an anthology, a collection of collections. It's all been arranged to present this prophet as a messenger of God's justice and grace. 
So the book begins with God calling Jeremiah to be a prophet, and he's given a dual vocation. He will be a prophet to Israel, but also to the nations. And his words will both uproot and tear down, but also plant and build up. In other words, he's going to accuse Israel and warn them of God's coming judgment, but he also has a message of hope for the future. Now, this opening perfectly summarizes the first large section, chapters 1 to 24. It's a collection of Jeremiah's writings from before the exile. And the core idea here is that Israel has broken the covenant with God and violated all the terms of the agreement they made that are written in the Torah, and in a number of ways. They've adopted the worship of all kinds of Canaanite gods, building idol shrines all over the land, and Jeremiah develops the metaphor of idolatry as adultery, and uses the language of prostitution, promiscuity, unfaithfulness to describe how Israel has given their allegiance to other gods. Jeremiah also repeatedly accuses Israel's leaders the priests, the kings, the other prophets have all become corrupt. They've abandoned the Torah and the covenant, which has led to a tragic result, rampant social injustice. The most vulnerable people in Israelite communities, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, were all being taken advantage of in clear violation of the laws of the Torah. And Israel's leaders didn't even seem to care. So a classic place where all of these ideas come together is in chapter 7. It's called Jeremiah's Temple Sermon. The Israelites are coming to worship their God in the temple as if everything is just fine. But outside the temple, they are worshiping other gods. And some were even adopting the horrifying Canaanite practice of child sacrifice. And so Jeremiah makes his very unpopular announcement. The God of Israel is coming in judgment. He's going to destroy his own temple and punish Israel by sending an enemy from the north. This is an army that God would allow to conquer Jerusalem. And as you read on, you discover he's talking about the great empire of Babylon. And so this all leads up to a transition in chapter 25. Israel hasn't turned back to their God. And so in the first year of Babylon. All right. So hopefully that wasn't too painfully slow, but it slowed down How enough. How slow did you make it? <laughs> that was just a, a 0.75. Okay. He sounded sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. But it was understandable. Because <laughs> he talks really fast. But um, like I do too. But um, anyway, hopefully that was kind of like a... a a very interesting, good collective overview there. Uh, again, uh, YouTube, Bible Project, and all of those different ones. Uh, they even have like a big, let me show you. They have a big book that has all of those charts that you can take a look at and study in person kind of a thing. Anyway, I, I go to it all the time. I'm here to start a revolution. <laughs> now we know what my mom's watching. <laughs> was that you or your mom? That was my mom. 
read so it yourself. <laughs> I thought it so was there's a really good YouTube video too. It's um, Jeremiah. I posted it. Did you guys watch that yet? No, I didn't see it. I haven't watched it. it. So many people have sent it to me. I need to. It's really good. I watched it last night and I was like, wow, I, I loved it. Uh huh. I think the same group did an amazing video on Esther as well. Um, it, it's oh. a must watch, but yeah, so good. Okay, well you sure it, has have Pat it has Patrick Dempsey and I did post the link. Make sure it works though. Okay, it's in Learning Zion. No, it's no, in the chat. I, I just did it in the, in the chat. chat. Okay. Yeah, that's what my mom clicked on and was watching. <laughs> but she was unmuted. <laughs> now you Darlene. Okay. But now my mom is muted. So if you want to talk, you, you're good. But... Now she's I'll get the lip reader. I get it. Muting is hard and <laughs> remembering when you are and when you're not. So uh, I totally get it. But um, now I'm distracted. Where, where were we at? So with come follow me we are focusing on i'm you know this is going to come out the wrong way but it's very kind of not dumbed down or anything like that but i mean very synoptic versions of what the takeaways are from jeremiah um but i hope that video kind of gave us a, a good overview of that first part that jeremiah uh what he's doing as a prophet and um, how he's trying to reach Israel and what the patterns are for us today, because just like all the writings of Isaiah, what has been shall be, and we are going to, um, we're going to be, we are seeing the exact same scenarios playing out and um, how that looks and feels uh, may be a little bit different, but uh, very much that the, the Lord is sending judgment, but he's also sending a message of hope at all times. There, it's always a, a, a dualistic pattern throughout the, the prophets there. But anyway, um, let me pull up the actual Come Follow Me manual. Oh, I watched a Margaret Barker video today. Uh-huh. Um, and I have Googled her before and watched lots of them, but I this one had never come up. Yeah. And um, let me see, I'm just trying to find it real quickly. It was just super interesting because, um, let's see, which one was it? Oh, I think I actually, do I have it on my, no, it's a different one. Anyways, it was just super interesting because um, it's just called the, the biblical vision for creation. I think that was it. Mm -hmm. And it was just super interesting because one of the things she said was um, that when, when we're in the everlasting covenant or when we have this covenant with God, then there's that protection, right? Yeah. But when we break that covenant, like it just naturally breaks down and that his judgment, it's not really him judging us. It's, it's the natural reaction, the natural um, like going into chaos because there's not the peace and the order anymore because of the covenant. I thought that was really interesting way. I mean, 
as I'm saying it, I'm like, yeah, we already know all this, but it was just interesting to hear her say it and the mm. way, and boy, I'm, I was like, why does this woman understand <laughs> the temple and the everlasting covenant better than we do? Yeah. It was really, it was a really good video. So I watch her. a come follow me video this week. I, today I watched <laughs> Margaret Barker instead. <laughs> yeah, I, I would highly recommend that one for, for this. Yeah, it was really good. Anyway, when you said that, it just made me think that it's not so much God's judgment as the natural order of things. And now it's becoming a natural disorder of things. Mm. That's an interesting point. Um, yeah, that's that's what she said. It's kind of like when I was raising my children, I've never punished them. I just let them experience the natural consequences of what they've done. And I would tell them, okay, so if you do this, this is going to be the natural consequence. And then that would give them the opportunity of experiencing that. But one of the things I was reading this month or this week, uh, Cameron put me onto it, of course, because it's on his book of Nelson um, readings, or else I heard it from him. I don't know. But it's the one that from the Leahona this month that President Nelson wrote about the word, he really goes into the word hesed, which in the King James Version, we don't really have a full understanding or context of what that word actually means. And so he's laying it out. And the part that was so encouraging in that covenant love that the Savior has for his, the people that covenant with him is that even if they stray from the path, he, bring, he has an interest in bringing them back. And it's just a really beautiful discussion of what covenant love is. And so I don't know, maybe everybody's read it. I'm a newbie to it and I loved it. But if you haven't, I... I think it's a good read. That's you know, this month. Yes, it's that, October twenty twenty two. In chapter eighteen of um, Jeremiah, it it talks about being the clay and the potter's wheel and and how the fire and all of that kind of goes along with that. So mm -hmm. keeping you know we, we keep our covenants and all that. And in my ward today in our Sunday school they were talking about that and I would and maybe I'm I misunderstood maybe I'm off in a different world but mine theirs were like okay so long as we are you know we have Christ as our center and we do all these things and then we'll be fired and we'll be fine you know he, he creates us and fires us and then we'll be all good and then like a couple people were making comments and then one next to me she says but what if you know, somebody that's in your life that's next to you isn't doing that and everything blows up because, you know, if you're on Potter's Wheel, they said, if you don't have all the air bubbles out, it'll blow up. And I, w I looked at her and I went, well, what if you blow up? Because I've blown up a lot of times. Yeah. And that's what it to me is about is having that faith to believe in him, to know that I am going to blow up and I am going to be a disaster but he's going to pull me back together again. And the teacher looked at me and was like, I never thought of it that way. So am I in left field? I mean, I was like. No, I think that's perfect. Yeah. Because I was like, well, that's what I got out of it. And they, they weren't going there. They didn't go that way with it at all. Mm -hmm. 
yeah that's a very interesting um take on it because like yeah the master is creating a masterpiece right and and there's nothing that ever goes wrong because it's the master doing it right but but what part do we play in that as we are yeah with all these things and blowing up and stuff yeah that's a great point and does that clay fall off the wheel once in a while mm-hmm. yeah or does it you know something happens and we have to have that faith and that belief and to go back to him and beg for forgiveness and and re- that's my that was my takeaway on it mm-hmm. to you know ask for forgiveness and just like david he fell off but he still always had his faith and belief in in god that he was there no matter what even though he and who knows what any we're gonna break we're we're not honed out of (laughs) still i I mean that's Mm -hmm. we're the natural man and that's that was that's my takeaway from us yeah I was going to say, some of us jump off the potter's wheel, right? Oh, I, I <laughs> fell off of it. I've jumped willingly. I, I raised my hand and says, take me. Yep. Uh, yep. Althea, uh-huh. how, how do I ac- access Margaret uh, Barker? I put it in the chat. I put the title and then I put the link in the chat. Oh, okay. Oh. Thank you. I'm not seeing it. Maybe you private message somebody. Oh, or no, I thought it said. I thought it said to everyone. Oh, was it to everyone? Oh, it is a direct. Yeah, message. I don't see Sorry. it. Sorry, it was a direct message. So here, mm-hmm. I thought I looked and it was to everyone. So, okay. Say, so is Laura still here? Yeah. Because I was trying to find the inkling things that she was talking about, the grace study, and I can't find it. I signed into Instagram and inklings, and I can't (laughs) find what she was talking about. I can't find any of the workbooklet and stuff she was talking about. Let me bring it up because I've got that one somewhere here. I'm not an Instagram. person so. yeah neither am I but um yeah here is the website so I mean the the Instagram just takes you and points you to her website so Emily Bell Freeman oh, okay. study um is where you can like right. thank you books and stuff yeah I went to her website but I still couldn't find what I was looking for so mm-hmm. thank you yeah for sure um Let's see, there was something I was gonna say about Potter something. Oh, so um, lately the Lord's been weighting me down, cosmism again and all this kind of stuff. But I was thinking about how the, the world really follows the pattern of its inhabitants, right? When its inhabitants break down and start unfollowing God and it's just the natural consequences that it starts having these earthquakes and, and things, right? And it starts kind of like a potter's wheel because it's spinning right and it just starts flinging pottery everywhere and um how how the master's like if you follow the covenants if you follow the pattern we can we can get through this and you you have covenantal protection but yet uh, through our own choices the natural consequences of disobedience and covenant breaking throw us because i mean we're we're moving here and and it's not like you can just stay still and and fall apart it, it, 
especially here at the end of the world, it's, it's one way or the other, like <laughs> stay together or, or be flung off uh, the, the face of it and how the earth follows that pattern. And even the cosmos um, follow that pattern. Everything goes into disarray when we are collectively uh, breaking covenants and, and things. But yeah, I love that, that pottery analogy. I'm going to be thinking on that one a lot. Yeah, that was really good. Um, so let's see, taking a look at the Come Follow Me manual, it breaks it down into this first section of Jeremiah into four different sections. It says that the prophets are called to speak the Lord's word, you know, being foreordained um, and, and everything. Then uh, God knew me before I was born, talks about the four ordinations and um, of Abraham, and, and we see a few other references there. And then there is the, the section on cisterns. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, that um, uh, they, they re more relied on their own collection of water rather than relying on the fountains of, of living water that, that the Lord was providing. And then the last section uh, there is that the Lord will gather his people. So taking that and, and overlaying it with the uh, covenantal structure that we've seen in the the bible project video uh does it show any parallelisms of, of what we're dealing with today <laughs> we're relying on on so many different things other than the lord like we'll literally go anywhere google anything except the actual fountain of living water and it, anyway it was just making so much um sense to me in in those parallels and, and things but yeah what does everyone else got I see like three people unmuted themselves. So you got some. <laughs> when we get to the living water part, I would super love to share something. So yeah, go for it. Okay. Yeah, it's a free conversation. I'm not really, I don't have a structure or anything that I'm trying to go down. So yeah, jump in. All right. Um, so this was on Facebook group this morning and I just wept all the way through it because she explains, <coughs> I'm not real great with words generally, and she explains um, what the Lord has been teaching me to do and regarding all of this. And so it's, it's probably like a three minute read. So is that okay? Yeah, totally. Okay. It's called Cisterns versus Fountains. One and this not may not be everybody's cup of tea, just so you know, going going in. Is this jo Jocelyn or Jocelyn, whatever yeah. her name is? Yeah. Did it read that? Okay. Yes, she's amazing. Yeah. One of the most frightening experiences of my life is when I woke awoke one morning to discover what I discerned to be very large dark presence hovering over my body. That part wasn't so scary as I had often encountered such dark spirits before and was practiced in casting them out and invited God's light into that space afterwards with prayer. What was frightening is that as I moved to perform this ritual, I was suddenly seized by something very powerful and couldn't move or speak. My ears were ringing loudly and it felt as if someone were trying to separate a part of a part of me from my body i cried out to jesus in my mind to save me but that didn't work 
Then a technique I'd recently learned came to my mind. I breathed deeply while speaking in my mind the words of an ancient, so this is Ho'oponopono, words of an ancient Hawaiian repentance practice where you focus your thoughts and words on forgiveness, gratitude, and love. In an instant, whatever had gripped me dissipated and I was free. There is an, there was an image in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2.13 of the people who have forsaken the fountain of living waters and instead dug cisterns for rainwater, cracked cisterns. Cisterns are caverns, one digs somewhere nearby that collect rainwater. If there is a crack or any sporadic and unpredictable rainfall, if there is, oh, if there's a crack, any sporadic and unpredictable rainfall it may contain will not last long. Fountains considered living waters are often found on the sides or tops of mountains and also come from rain, but the, that water must first travel deep below the surface to an aquifer. When that aquifer is running ore, the water then travels by process of pressure, gravity, and other forces through many layers of dirt and rocks until it reaches the surface clean and purified. I wonder, could this image relate to the idea that many of us who desire to follow Christ try to do, try to do so by bypassing the of all the heavy stuff and going directly for the blessings? Jeremiah called this idolatry, craving out carving out gods that gods that heal the hurt of the daughter um, of my people slightly, but have no lasting thirst quenching potential. According to the prophet Lehi, you can't have righteousness without wickedness, holiness without misery, good without bad, second Nephi 2.11. There is a reason why Jesus had to experience all the bad in order to impart to us all the good. Um, so what is our part in all of this? According to Jeremiah, there's a lot of sickness and woundedness that isn't being healed because we are not willing to face the truth. That goes, goes, uh, comes from chapter 8, 21 through 22, and chapter 9, 6, 9, 6 and then 6, 7. Um, we want to hoard up all the good by carving out a shallow image of perfection and filling that up. Maybe it's an image of righteousness, of beauty, of health, of intellect, of control. Whatever it is, it's never an going to be enough it's going to seep into the darkness beneath one be, darkness beneath one way or another uh, we might as well do it god's way jesus showed us that way he didn't avoid darkness sexual problems poverty or evil spirits he brought love into every situation and the healing was the result this is what i inadvertently did that morning with the darkness i was experiencing i lived into it rather than sending it away. It was converted, integrated into the light and something healed. And boy, did I heal. I'm not the same person I was back then. And my family isn't the same either. For anyone who has been through an endowment in the temple of the church of Jesus Christ, we learn basically that everyone who comes to earth is given the ironic priesthood authority to cast Satan out. But President Nelson in the last general conference differentiated between the power of lesser covenants and the higher laws of Jesus Christ, giving us access to 
his higher power and that higher power, higher law and power is love. Yes. In, sorry, this is longer than three minutes, but we're close to the end. Yes, in Genesis, light and darkness were separated from each other, just as male and female were. But in the end, we are commanded to be one again. And this may mean acknowledging that we are not separate from the rest of humanity or our ancestors or the parts of ourselves that we would like to ignore. Um, we all have the potential to be she says cruel. <laughs> Let's just say unkind. I don't know. Probably maybe cruel too. And ignorant and destructive. If we don't, we wouldn't have any agency to choose good and God's plan would be frustrated. But like Christ, because of these things are within us, we also have the potential to forgive them, to love into them and bring them from the deep darkness back into the light of God's love where they can fulfill the purpose of their creation. Over the next few weeks, consider asking in prayer to be shown the parts of you or that which is within your sphere of influence that needs to be integrated into the light of Jesus Christ. The symptoms can be sickness, mental illness, broken relationships, anger, or even evil spirits. And the source may be something unseemingly related that you've chosen to ignore something or someone forgotten. A path avoided because we were more comfortable with our carved image rather than the truth. Journal about it, as President Nelson recommended, and then apply the balm in Gilead mixed with one part, please forgive me, I'm sorry, one part, thank you, I'm grateful, and one part, I love you. If you do this, you may experience what Jeremiah called recovery in chapter 822. You may even discover that this is what you were ordained to and sanctified for before you were born. And there was an extra little bit, but it was cut off. So, um, yeah. Leslie, where was that? You said Jocelyn, but what group was it in? Um, she's in a couple, isn't she? I think it's her, her, oh, her own page. At teachings of Christ, or is, does that ring a bell? No, it doesn't. I'll have does to it, look for. I was thinking it was an unblog or the perfect day, but maybe I will yeah, look, and then I will post it in the chat. in the chat. Okay, yeah, thank you. That's excellent stuff. Welcome. Yeah, I love that. The whole time that you were reading, like Miriam kept coming to mind, and like the symbolism of living water versus cisterns and and things, right? Where, um male versus female um the men are in charge of the fire the women are in charge of the water and and so we see all throughout scripture there's always women at the well it's never the men because we have different distinct roles and um during jeremiah's time here where he's talking about these cisterns it's that women forsook their responsibility to go to the wells and they let the men take over and dig cisterns that were, you know, half-baked attempts at trying to collect sporadic rainwater. But um, Miriam is kind of like the, the main type of this throughout all of the scriptures. She is the water bearer and her and her handmaidens are, are going out and finding sources of living water through their devices and through their dancing and, and their worship of God that women have a connection to water and living water at that. I mean, we're, we're talking both physical and spiritual, right? And um, how 
interesting as as you were reading that whole thing with with Jocelyn there and healing I mean living water is is essential for healing right I mean we just we don't get it from cistern type water but actual pure living water is a very healing element and um, how healing is is such a a women's role in the last days um, for their families for their generations and for the world as as a whole um, like President Nelson said, if if we lose the the righteousness of women, the world will never recover, and it's directly harkening back to Jeremiah's time, where we're relying on these man-made cisterns. Men never do it quite right, right? And um, the women aren't doing their duty or their their natural given ability to go find living water and bring it back for their families. And likewise, our roles in everything are, are mixed up and, and we're just having a hard time <laughs> getting the necessary water that we need. Um, but, but that's what kept coming to mind the whole time you were uh, talking about that and so many different like connections and, and things popping out for me. I, I love that. So much of the time I mean, I think this is a natural thing for women to do is mm-hmm. to want things better, to want to have healing, to want to forgive. Yeah, there can be, you know, in general, I think that's truth. I think that um, we can heal and build with this and, and instead of fighting it, just embrace that this exists and um because denial is i think it's one of satan's greatest tools and justifying and all of that so Mm -hmm. leslie i wanted i wanted to say first of all thank you that that was amazing and in our last come follow me little ward group uh, i was wondering about Jesus in the New Testament, he cast out so many devils, demons, and yet we rarely talk about it in church. Yeah. Well, curious. Maybe it's because he understood this principle, and maybe we were still in the process of learning. Do you think, well, one thing that was occurring to me as as you were reading was, and actually it's hard to admit, but it, I left the church for other reasons, but I, I was also very young, but I wanted to search out Eastern religions and more cosmic kind of uh, elements and what I found and what I what occurred to me as you were reading that <clears throat> is that and what Cameron was just referring to, like the whole goddess movement, you know, women and healing and 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 water and all all these connections. That's what I was searching for, the cosmos, and it's all here and so much more, right? In in the religion that I left. And I come back, you know, so many years later, and I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> you know, I was searching and searching and, and never even found the love. When I got back, I was like, oh, there's that love. 
there's that feeling of the, the people that I've been searching for my whole life. And mm -hmm. anyway, I took for granted. I thought, oh, everybody's like this. But anyway, yeah. so thanks. You're welcome. Yeah, I love but that. Lisa, I think, but I think Lisa that we've also progressed. Like, I don't think it's always been like this. I don't think there's always been people like this. This is like, we're, I don't want to say mutating. <laughs> we're <laughs> progressing. We're progressing. Like a butterfly. Evolving. We're, we're evolving to uh, seeing everything that Heavenly Father made for us to become what we need to be. So I don't necessarily think that that was wrong that you left to come back and see, like, I, maybe you wouldn't even appreciate it now had you not gone on that journey. Mm -hmm. And that reminds me of that McConkie, that Thomas McConkie did the same thing. He left and he went um, and got, totally got into, what was it that he got into? Um, Buddhism. And then the more he got into Buddhism, the more he knew the LDS was right he knew that more his testimony was strengthened about jesus christ so i think we've i think we've evolved to this i don't think you really missed it because this is all new this is all just i think a lot of it social media we all can share things where before we felt if we felt a little bit different than the rest of everybody we didn't dare talk about it but now we have tribes that we dare to talk a little bit more freely and see things um, I don't know. I don't, can anybody else say it better than I am? Well, I just want to add to that, though, that my husband, uh, Andy Greenberg, converted, and he was Jewish. He never grew up with Jesus, and uh, a man that we really owe so much to that came over every week, a professor at Dixie University, he turned us on to Hugh Nibley, and that's an introduction to the church right there <laughs> blown away so i i think he contributed to this uh, evolution <laughs> i love it so i just have to ask because when kathy said lisa and i'm like i thought lisa left so <laughs> you had your name as jaja on there before <laughs> yeah, is that just a, an alias that you've uh liked or or do you go by both it's 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 my legal name and, and I changed it, but now that I'm back in the church and getting into genealogy, and it's confusing, you, you know, so I have, this is my birth name, and I'm going back to that, and I have to pay to get it back, so, but that's <laughs> eventually. Yeah, I love it. Um. Let's see, I'm just going back to uh, come follow me. Um, any other thoughts and impressions that you have there? Yeah, because like uh, some of that is, uh, we, we've talked a lot about it in, in our book clubs, right? Uh, that uh, prophets are, are foreordained as, as well as all of us, that we have um, missions to perform here in, in the last days and, and there's no coincidence to to any of that and the the gathering of israel uh, like it points out in the come follow me manual that um president nelson's quote there is no greater work to be involved in and the youth battalion and and so many things that uh, president nelson is uh, emphasizing so strongly in these last days of the need to to gather scattered israel 
and what a, a blessing we have. Uh, so many different resources and technology and things to actually gather with. Um, and then um, just everything that President Nelson's been implementing and, and helping us uh, to really hone in and, and focus on both sides of the veil, really uh, working that gathering to its fullest extent. Did I one thing? Oh, go one ahead. One thing back, sorry, really fast. One thing back to Lisa was I think it's funny they sent you this Hugh Nibley because that's like just putting you up to a fire hose of information. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's kind of funny. But on the other hand, he had such a vast testimony of all things like he's into energy work. He was into, I mean, he was into all, like, he knows a lot of stuff. And so that was really cool that they were led to to send you to him because that puts it, he puts it all kind of together. I, I just, I can't say enough. I mean, I, I think he was on the spectrum or something cause he's such a genius. I mean, just so out of the normal <laughs> range, <laughs> just, just brilliant. Yeah. Like all the greats are right. I mean, <laughs> it takes a, a certain level of thinking to to really break through some of the the veils of unbelief or the traditions that we kind of box ourselves into and, and stuff and really think outside of that. Uh, a lot of us have to really work at that and and some of those great minds just have that natural ability to not have those impeding them constantly. And so many languages, Arabic, Greek, Hebrew, and he and he went on his mission to Germany. German. <laughs> oh, I think he spoke 20 languages, didn't he? I, I don't know. It was a lot. <laughs> a lot. I'm going to look him up. And, and he had a near-death experience. That If you ever get a chance to hear about it, he, he does speak about it in a, 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 a film, I think, or I, I don't know, maybe I read it, but I it, there was an answer. It was an answer to one of his questions to the Lord and the Lord answered him in his, while he was dead, momentarily, he came back, obviously. Mm -hmm. Interesting, and, I've never heard about that before. Oh, you have to, you have to. And the, he said, all this information was just like downloaded into him, just whoosh. Mm -hmm. so if you can find the link to any of that information, um, try to share it with us, okay? Oh, for sure. I will. Thank you so much. I have my little assignment. Okay. I'm a big fan of his, although I hardly ever can even understand half of what yeah. he said. <laughs> I'm not expected <laughs> enough to get it. <laughs> no, I'm in a problem. I'm in a aren't on the spectrum enough. <laughs> Sorry. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put a link in here. This Did is you find already. So no, this is a face. This is a YouTube channel called Aussie Dao, D-A-O. And I found him in the last month or so since I've been here. So maybe the second week of September. I don't know. But he's obviously LDS, but he puts a ton of Hunibli talks on. And it's so funny because I and there was a scouse in one, and I was listening to it, and then it said. This is the end of side one. Please turn the tape over. <laughs> and then it was just silent. I'm like, so what's happening? Where's part yeah. two? And then it Where's started. <laughs> but he's kind of new. He, she, I don't know. Kind of new. There's some political things on there. 
mm-hmm. but tons of Hugh Nibley talks, tons. And some of them are just broken down into 17 minutes. Some are an hour. And I, when I, cause I've been driving a lot. So I will download it. Like here's one, the school of the prophets by Hugh Nibley. That's 17 minutes, just under 17. Mm-hmm. Um, prophets in crisis, prophets and scholars, the ancient law of liberty. These are all Hugh Nibley. And then there's the case for Christ by Lee Strobel. I watched that one. It was, I don't even know if the guy was LDS. So some of them aren't, but they're really good. He's got a Wayne May video on here, stuff about climate change, not a whole lot, Clinton cash. So if you want to get into stuff like that, the subversion process, how, uh, have you guys heard about that? It's a former KGB guy talking back in the eighties about how they were going to, anyways, it's interesting because that's what's all happened and how they were going to take over the U S. So there are some other things, but tons (laughs) tons of Hugh Nibley stuff. That subversion was really interesting. There's two, one is like a audio, I think. And the other one, and it's longer. And the other one, no, he was teaching a class. And the other one is like an interview on TV and super interesting and he tells you the only way that you can um, insulate yourself from this subversion process the antidote is god because they can't take your faith away from you it was really interesting and so anyways yeah one is called the four stages of ideological subversion and the other one is just the subversion process um, so anyway, lots of really super interesting. Here's one Hugh Nibley talking almost an hour about Enoch, um, Adam and Eve, just tons, tons of Hugh Nibley. Um, so, and I don't know where this person's getting all these, these, mm-hmm. and he just started, well, there's some from two years ago. And then a year ago, and then all of a sudden, it seems like he's gotten really started uploading a ton of stuff. There's some Ezra Taft Benson. So anyways, Secret Combinations and Freedom by Cleon Skousen. Um, There's a couple of Cleon, Jonah and the Whale. Ooh, that might be interesting to listen to. The Law of Consecration, that's Cleon Skousen. Hubie Brown. I mean, just some really old, old, like I said, turn the tape over. (laughs) things. So I did want to say something about the scattering of Israel and the gathering of Israel, actually. And I don't know if I said this last time, but I've been just really pondering President Nelson's push of gathering Israel. And we know that there's always multiple meanings, right? Hold on. Can I call you back in just a second? Okay. Um, there's always multiple meanings. And I think that one, obviously, is that wide net, that wide net of collecting everyone that belongs to Israel. But I'm also wondering if part of that is the gathering, a smaller net and gathering Zion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, do you, what do you mean? Um, so while he's gathering Z- Israel and bringing people into the church and we keep talking about missionary work i'm wondering if there's i mean there's obviously a push to make us higher and holier and that's the gathering of zion like when he says gather israel i don't think he just means 
think he also means gathering to Zion, like being ready. Mm -hmm. Oh, not just numbers and bodies. Like no, I don't quantity. think it's. No, I don't think it's just numbers and bodies. I think it's. I mean, the reason we're gathering Israel is to bring them into the covenant. So we do that, but then we also want a people prepared to meet the Savior. Right. Maybe it's so, like a fish ladder. It's like a what? A fish ladder in in streams and rivers, not streams, but rivers. What's that? Where it it helps. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it helps them um, go up, go upstream like salmon. Oh, oh, like locks, kind of like how we have locks. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm wondering if, you know, the process is gather as many as you can, and then how many of those can we bring higher and holier and gather Zion? So when I, I've just, yeah, I've just been thinking about that and wondering. So when he says gather, gather Israel, I don't think he means just gather as many people as you can and bring them into the covenant. I think he does mean that. But I think he's also inviting us to be ready to gather to Zion. Like that's part of his job too, is to gather Zion. So, and, and like in Jeremiah, oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead, darling. No, go ahead. Just quickly then in, in Jeremiah, uh, the new and everlasting covenant, where we write the law on our hearts and, and, I think that's what you're talking about, where we're not obedient. We love the law. We love it so much. We just, that's what we want to do. And go ahead, Darlene. Okay. Well, I was just, this is just making me think about, uh, it's in Jeremiah. I'm not sure exactly. It seems like 19, but I might be wrong. About where he talks about the fishers of men and the hunters of men. Cameron, you, yeah, yeah. it's 16. Okay, that's exactly what he's talking about. The fishers of the men are the missionaries that are out now, but there'll be a time when they're brought home and then it'll be the hunters that go out and gather the elect. And that's what they're doing is bringing them to this new Zion. Mm -hmm. And oh, really? Nelson actually gave a talk on that comparing the fishers versus the hunters and the two different processes that, yeah, it's very much that wide net principle where, you know, we're trying to gather everybody, but also where there, there's a time and a place and, and a people prepared that do gather only the elect and, and we bring them straight to Zion. And that's the, the hunting process, not the fishing process. Yeah. Jeremiah is the, the prophet that really hones in on that and, and helps delineate it out. That's Jeremiah 16, 16. Oh, well, headhunters. <laughs> well, I just kind of like it. So every time we hear President Nelson say, gather Israel, I'm like thinking in my head, come to Zion. Yeah. Come to Zion. That's what he's saying. Yeah. You were, uh, Althea, you weren't on the first hour, were you? No. Because oh, I had said I was... We have our family Zoom meeting. Okay, because so. I was going through the conference talks and I'd read the first couple and I was trying to apply the principle of Zion to all the talks to see if they were that, you know, one in heart and one in mind with no poor among them and see if they all 
fell into that category. At least some part of the talk fell into that category because then that would be, you know, it would fit with your theory of gathering Zion. Mm -hmm. Cause I think that's I what mean, the call was this time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of the talks had that little bits in them, you know, a mighty change of heart. Um, no, one was about being poor. Um, the rest of the Lord. Yeah. Take his, yoke. his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Have we talked about that? Did I share my thoughts on that? At least not tonight. Okay. okay. I got to call my husband eventually, um, but he's driving <laughs> home from Dallas. So anyway, he just got back from something. He wants to tell me about it. So anyway, but before conference started, I was thinking about that scripture and I was thinking, what if light isn't a weight? What if it's the light of Christ? So my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so I was just pondering that. And then after conference, somebody posted and I screenshot them because I was like, oh my gosh, I sew. Why didn't I think about this? So let me pull these pictures up. I should actually just make them a favorite because I keep pulling them up. So a yoke, the definition of a yoke in sewing is a fitted or shaped piece at the top of a skirt or at the shoulder of various garments. Okay, sorry, I don't mean my camera in there. And then look at this, that's a yoke. It's also called a tunic. This is a yoke. Huh. Is that a yoke? The breastplate. So what if we say the yoke of Christ is the robes of the holy priesthood? My yoke is easy. The robes of the priesthood are easy. And my burden is light. So it brings you to the light of Christ. So then I went to the temple with that in mind. Oh, wait. And then she shared one other thing. This is in Doctrine and Covenants 113, 7 and 8. They're asking questions. Oh, I don't have my reading glasses, so I'll do my best. Um, okay, can make it big. Questions by Elias Higby. What is meant by the command in Isaiah 52nd chapter, first verse, which saith, put on thy strength, O Zion. Wasn't that a talk? Was that Elder Bednar's talk? Something about, yeah. And what people had Isaiah reference to? He had reference to those whom God should call in the last days, who should hold the power of priesthood to bring again Zion and the redemption of Israel and to put on our strength is to put on the authority of the priesthood. So then I went to the temple on Thursday and did ceilings. And then I went to the celestial room and I thought, I'm going to look at that scripture. And I've been bringing a little notepad with me to the temple um, and a pen in my pocket and reading the scriptures and writing down. So that's in my temple bag, but I'll share with you what I found. So it's in Matthew 11. Um, I think I have it on my phone. Yeah, because I've been sharing this. And I found out that it doesn't start with that scripture. It, that's scripture 30. It starts in 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So then the word rest is footnoted. And we kind of know what rest of the Lord is, right? Comfort, the purpose of the earth, renewal of the earth. But I also have to think renewal of us. 
glory of God, paradise, peace, quietness, and Sabbath. So that's the rest. It's actually footnoted a second time. Let's see, does it take us? I haven't read that. Anyways, it takes you to Mosiah and Alma and the Doctrine and Covenants and I and Comfort in the Topical Guide. I haven't read those, so I need to look at that more. So my yoke is easy. Take on the robes of the holy priesthood, for you will gain greater light and knowledge and enter into the rest of the Lord. That's how I read that scripture now. Mm-hmm. Is, isn't the rest of the Lord also entering into his presence? Mm-hmm. And do you know what? Sister Dennis gave a talk this conference called My Yoke is e- uh, my, my Yoke is Easy and or His Yoke is Easy and My Burden and His Burden is Light. And then President Nelson's talk was all about rest. So isn't that interesting? So I don't know. I just wondered if maybe I had that thought about light before conference because that's what they were going to talk about. And it brought me to that scripture. I just have been pondering it for, I don't know, two or three months before conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, just a little different take on, on that yeah. scripture, which ties yeah. us to general conference. Mm-hmm. With um, uh, what is his name? Aaron Franklin's book, <laughs> The Spiritual Physics of Light. And really taking that principle into conference was quite amazing. I mean, there were so many references to light and change and physical matter and spiritual matter and stuff like it was uh, a highly rewarding one like taking that principle and, and playing it out through conference was was fun mm-hmm. but yeah I hadn't uh, put that specific reference in there and stuff and that that helps change a lot yeah like what a new way to think of we and that was the other thing I thought about was when we're yoked with the Lord like a oxen yoke we're side by side but putting on the robes of the holy priesthood, gaining greater light and knowledge, entering into his rest doesn't put us side by side anymore. It aligns our will and makes us one as he is with the father. Mm-hmm. Like we just, I don't know. We just read these scriptures and read over them and think we know what they mean. It was like, it was like uh, lectures on faith. We just think we know what they mean. And that's the tradition of men. And I don't know why I thought about light being a different use of the word rather than a weight. It was the light of Christ. Mm-hmm. But I did. I guess the spirit did. And then it caused me to ponder. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. I'm going to go chat with my husband. And if you're still here when I get done, then I'll join. <laughs> you. But thanks, everyone. Yeah, Bye. Bye. Good night. That was awesome. Thank you, Alicia. Oh, that's really good. You are welcome. You're welcome. Cameron, I'd like to ask you a question regarding aligning the will, our our will with Heavenly Fathers. And I've, I've also heard it in terms of putting our will on the altar and the same kind of principle to like not my will but what what would you have me do father and and I'm just so curious what that would look like and so I'm asking you because you seem like the kind of guy that you 
done that. I mean, you are so absorbed, like you are a study monster. And, and it's, so I'm just, I, yeah, what do you think? Um, okay, so my brain like went in like a thousand different directions right there. <laughs> but um, at a state conference uh, a while back, and um, it came up in a state conference and an award conference, like back to back from different speakers, but it really hit home to me uh, about this principle. Um, the one shared, he's, he's much of a cowboy and breaking horses all the time, right? And um, helping them yield or break uh, their, their wills unto their master, for lack of a better word. That kind of right. sounds in that context, but um, it really got me thinking, um, about me as as a horse and anytime I think about turning my will over to him I, I think of myself as a uh, a horse in that context the other one that was an award conference uh shared the poem or I'm not sure if it's even a poem but anyway it's called who the meek are not and um it also gives this um imagery of this noble horse that what is meekness it's not about being like shy and timid and just like you know uh, being a pushover but it's about being the the strength the the horsepower of of a noble steed yet knowing when to use it and when to refrain at the least command of the master and um that that's what it's kind of seemed to me that we have I mean, we are gods in embryo. We have so much potential power within ourselves. I mean, we are horsepower. We are, we can use it for good or for evil. And um, it's all about that moment when a horse finally breaks. And um, sorry, I'm bouncing between these two talks because they're just so much in, in harmony. But um, he shared this experience when um, I, I believe it was his son that was on this horse, this wild horse that would just kind of buck and go weird and uh, run at fast paces off. And he just never, it wasn't predictable, but he had trained him all summer long. And then at one point on this gallop that was like, I might die because this horse is going crazy. He felt the moment when the horse broke and gave his will or yielded his will to that rider because he knew that the rider was going to be in his best interest and it was an actual physical thing where he knew the exact moment that the horse broke and from then on it it became a new symbiotic relationship and so long story short through like lectures of faith I think we learned that process um, of how to actually become one with God and not just uh, like Alethea was saying, you know, not side by side or, um, but, but actually one that we know what God's will is and that whatever we ask will not be amiss, but that it is according to his will. We know him so intimately that his will is actually within our spiritual DNA at that point, because we want it that way. It's not because, oh, it, it's you know the commandments and we should do this but that we actually know his will enough and love him enough that we've 
broke and and put off the natural man and put it on the altar like you said or or whatever and actually had that <laughs> that new heart given unto us um hey cameron mm -hmm. can i add something to that what you're saying yeah, yeah my bishop my bishop my bishop is a is a cowboy mm -hmm. and he gave gives a story that's real similar to that about breaking a horse and that and he says at first he felt guilty you know breaking this horse like he was hurting it or like and then he talked about how like you felt the the moment that it was broke but he said then there's also a moment when it's dead broke and how once they're dead broke then they're it's safer to ride them it's safer for them it's safer for everyone and how he encouraged us to be dead broke to christ like we don't even have to think twice but to just be completely dead broke and it was like the best best talk i've ever heard and like we talk about it all the time like in our ward being dead broke um because once you get to that point it's that it's actually like a physical or a spiritual moment where you know that you're broke you're it's and it's like a real thing like when you you've i don't i don't know what it would be called if it's the second comforter or what i don't know that but when you know what you know and you are completely yoked and completely broke dead broke anyway i just wanted to share that well i have horses and i the same thing oh. there is a ton of trust that has to go on between both horse and owner breaker whatever you want to call them that without that trust that that the horse knowing that you're not going to be just mean to it or hurt it or in any way they they have to know that you're not going to hurt it in any way also and by the same token if you happen to be the rider that is on that horse and you take it up in the mountains and it can sense a snake in the ground and you can't see it you have to be able to also say okay, let me trust that, that, that it knows what it's doing. So there's got to be a trust all the way around in that breaking and, and honoring, you know, and obeying each of each of them. And I think that goes along with us also. We have to have that trust and faith, whatever you want to call it, in knowing that we're going to be okay. Yeah. That's that's great stuff right there. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and Leslie has her hand up. Can you guys hear me? Okay. So as you're talking as you're talking about this, um, <clears throat> I was thinking of a something that um, Robert Robert E. Wells is that is that the right name? Yeah, Robert E. Wells. He was giving a talk in a uh, called the Beatitudes, Patterns for Coming Unto Christ. And this was 1987, December of 87. And he's talking about this same thing, only there's a, a little, uh, it's a little bit different. And um, I'm trying to find it. I had it before and I was reading it. Um, he went down to... Argentina 
to a 100,000 acre ranch. I, I, I can't even imagine how big that is. Um, and I put up, I put up the um, link to this in the chat. And so he says, there was more than a thousand head of beautiful horses being raised. Some were for gauchos or cowboys to ride, but most were thoroughbred polo ponies trained and sold to people throughout the world. I asked the owner of the ranch if we could see a rodeo where the gauchos broke wild horses as our Western cowboys do. He was aghast and he said, not on this ranch, you won't, um, was his emphatic answer. Although a polo pony has to be obedient, lightning fast, fearless, and superbly maneuverable, we would never break a horse. We don't want to break his spirit. And I think we talked about that before. We love our horses and work patiently with them until they are meek or monso. Our monso horses are still full of fire and spirit, but they are obedient and well-trained. And he said, I can see great spiritual application to this of the meaning of monso the savior didn't mean for us to be doormats he meant for us for that we should be obedient and well-trained we can be strong enthusiastic talented spirited zealous and still be meek able to coexist in the success-oriented world in which we live so i thought that was interesting and i wanted to see it so bad but <laughs> i'm never gonna go to argentina so <laughs> But yeah, what, what great points there. <laughs> it's amazing that each animal, is it species? I don't know. I'm not a biologist, but like um, with, with each animal kingdom that we've got uh, going on, that they each have very important characteristics or object lessons for us to learn. You know, there's something to learn out of sheep and their characteristics. There's something to, to learn about the loyalty of a dog. There's something to learn about the breaking of a horse and all of these different um, symbolisms that the Lord has given us um, throughout the animal and plant and everything, creation, <laughs> kingdom, but um, a lot about uh, aligning our will and uh, yielding it or breaking it unto God, being one with him. I, honestly, I think Lectures on Faith was my biggest aha moment in my own personal journey with that. Um, <laughs> like you said, you look like somebody who's done that. No, <laughs> I, I'm so far from it. But um, it's been my quest for the past two or three years or whatever to, to really get to know the savior in deeper ways and not necessarily knowing how to do it, but just like, okay, tell me how to kind of thing. Uh, that's always uh, one of my constant petitions. It's one of my vain repetitions, but um, I, I think that the Lord has a lot of patterns um, laid out for us and, and lectures was the one for me anyway, that, that helped that click in um, in a new, exciting way that has been very fruitful, to say the least. So, I don't know. I study everything, but... <laughs> Do you mean all of the lectures on faith, or one in particular, well, a couple? It, it's lecture fifth that really opens it up, but until you understand two, three, and four in depth, I don't think that five will unlock in the way that it needs to. So... Um, yeah with with our book clubs we went through those you can can watch some of the videos of that we're discussing oh. there to help kind of unlock it but um but yeah it, it's lecture fifth that 
Um, it unpacks Christ's relationship to his father and it, it pulls them apart and gives a, a kind of a, a look at both of them separate, but then it ties them all back together in the Godhead and how they are actually one and how we are invited to be perfect, even as they are perfect and be one with them. And so, yeah, it, lecture fifth is, is the crux of it, but it, it definitely requires a study of two, three, and four to wow. fully unpack it. And the fact that we are even entitled to inherit everything that Jesus, the firstborn, is entitled to inherit, that just blows my mind. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Yeah. And so as we, as we do become one, you know, we can be in that horse analogy, we can actually be one with that rider. And, um, you know, I think we learn that a lot in the, the pattern of, of marriage, right? Where we are to, to leave father and mother and to cleave and actually become one flesh with, with our relationships around us in order to pattern and practice that oneness with God, because it's an, an inheritance. And like you said, like, seriously, I mean, he suffered and, and punished <laughs> all things. How can we possibly merit that kind of inheritance? But it, it's all possible if we can actively seek to, to break ourselves of the natural man and, and have our wills one. Yeah, such a powerful pattern. Yeah. Back going back to the learn of me that the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say about what does Jesus tell us about the meek? It yeah. says that for for they shall be no, they shall inherit the earth. And see, the earth is gonna become the celestial kingdom so i think that's what he's telling us if we become meek um that we will get to the celestial kingdom mm -hmm. and the pure in heart see god so it's like wow <laughs> yeah, some yeah some pretty amazing blessings exactly yeah lectures on faith is basically just a a how-to guide of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. So it's taking it, um, and Joseph Smith is has lived the pattern and is studying the pattern with the, the scriptures and saying, okay, school of the prophets, this is how we do it. This is how we actually come into the Father's presence in this life, not just in the next, and actually break ourselves here and now and but, but seriously, yeah, it, it really is um, the, the Sermon on the Mount and Beatitudes and all of that um, kind of culminating. Lecture fifth right there um, with be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. Like, here it is <laughs> uh, that, that it is possible for us to, to search for and, and obtain. Yeah. Anyway, anything else before we close out for the night? It's been such a, a fun <laughs> run. <laughs> Next time I won't drink so much water and have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
Cameron. This week, uh-huh. Go for it. I want to know what your thing was that you went to last week that you canceled this for. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I brought that up at the very beginning, but... Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm Let me do that again. Um, just a second. I'm going to stop the recording. We'll, we'll be done there. And then...